Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, hackers targeting the vaccine supply chain and a conversation with journalist Jeff Roberts about his new book, The Kings of Crypto. All this and more coming up. IBM says hackers backed by foreign governments are targeting companies involved in shipping and storing the new Pfizer coronavirus vaccine, which has to be stored at super low temperatures. Now, this is obviously a big concern as the vaccine was rolled out for the first time this week in Great Britain and is expected to arrive here in Ohio around December 15th. To find out more about how supply chain hacks work, we talked to University of Akron computer science professor and cybersecurity expert, Dr. John Nicholas. And he started out our conversation with this example. Even if they could just shut down a refrigeration or a freezing unit for 15, 20 minutes and that temperature rises, that might be enough to destroy or contaminate a batch. Uh, in this particular attack, uh, what, what happened was there were phishing emails. And what those emails are, are very sophisticated false emails that try to get somebody to click on to either a website or click out to a link and enter some information like your password and your username. And if you do that, once you give away your username and password, it doesn't matter what the IT people do. You have just allowed this attacker into that network. So given that that is the threat, what's the advice? Cybersecurity has to be a two-pronged attack. And there's, of course, the IT, the technical side of it. And that work never ends. Um, That's 24-7. But this case is more of an education problem. So you have to identify this threat and make sure that all of the employees in your company are aware. If you see an email claiming anything about the supply chain, to contact the IT professionals in that company immediately. Also this week, I talked to Fortune magazine journalist Jeff Roberts about his new book, The Kings of Crypto, which spotlights the tech entrepreneurs who turned an abstract concept like digital currency into real money, both for themselves and millions of people worldwide. I've always been interested in technology and money, and I agree it is for a long time quite an arcane topic that also attracts a very sort of interesting people, a lot of libertarians and frankly criminals, but it's evolved a lot the last few years. Um, And I've been writing about Bitcoin since 2013, which is just a new form of money distributed on the Internet. And just watching its growth and popularity, you're now seeing mainstream companies like PayPal, like Square, embrace it. Robinhood, too, the investment platform is. So for that reason, I think it was time for a new book that really told the story in really plain English. That was my goal in writing it. So why is it so interesting when so relatively few people are using it? Well, I think the number of people who own it has really dramatically gone up. This uh, Charles Schwab did a survey of millennial investors, and in the top five stocks was a Bitcoin one. There's a company that lets you buy Bitcoin in the form of shares. So it was quite sort of obscure and you know, reserved for kind of libertarian crypto nerds a few years ago, but now it's really going mainstream. I think people like it because the technology is cool. But also, a lot of people see it as an alternative to gold, as sort of something that's going to... I'm speaking of Bitcoin. There's other more exotic cryptocurrencies. But um, like gold, a lot of people around the world agree Bitcoin's worth something. 
And so for that reason, it's really sort of taken off in the last few years. But unlike gold, you can't hold it in your hand or bury it underground or put it in a crypt somewhere. And there have been a lot of incidents where people have had their Bitcoin wallets hacked and their money just evaporates. That's a really good point. Yeah, you can't make jewelry out of it. You don't. It's you know basically just information on the internet. However, um, the security's gotten better, and the company I wrote about called Coinbase makes it a lot easier to hold it in a secure way. And you know you can use it to pay for things around the world. PayPal next year is going to be issuing debit cards that let people pay for it from their Bitcoin account. Uh, does that make sense to do? I don't know. I think that's a fair question. But I think at this point, there's no doubt that Bitcoin is here to stay. In the past, you know, people sort of, there would be a big hack. People would give up hope on it as value would plummet. But I think by now, it's now 10 years old. People have written it off many times. But I think at this point, yeah, Bitcoin is, is here to stay. So my question is, why is it here to stay? What advantage is there for somebody to hold Bitcoin as opposed to just using cash or a credit card or something else? Well, I think, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, it's the same reason people hold stocks or hold gold or hold other currencies. It's a form of money. It's accepted, you know, you can spend it anywhere on the world. It sort of has no master, which makes it interesting, too, because other currencies are backed by central governments. Gold is worth something, I think, because, well, it can be useful, but mostly because it's always been worth something. And I think it's also increasingly, as the Federal Reserve prints more and more money, we're watching what's happening in the pandemic. They're printing more and more money as their central banks everywhere. So it's also sort of inflation-proof, too. There's a limited supply of Bitcoin. And if you want to hold something that's not subject to the government printing press, I think a lot of people find Bitcoin interesting for that reason. Well, it's interesting that you say it's not subject to inflation, but it is subject to huge volatility. You mentioned in your book that you bought a Bitcoin one time for X amount and then a few months later sold it for hundreds of times more than what it was worth. And then it goes back and forth. It fluctuates so much. So why, again, is that so attractive to people? Um, I think if you look at the history of Bitcoin, it used to do these crazy price swings. And it's the first early bubble. It went to $30 and fell to $2. And yeah, most people don't want to own something that volatile. But if you look at it more recently, the volatility has really been sort of reduced. It's last bubble hit almost 20,000 in um, 2017 and then fell to almost sort of three or 4,000. But since then, it's been a steady march upwards. And yeah, if you want sort of a safe investment, you're a lot better off buying treasury bills. But I think there's a growing consensus. There's only so much Bitcoin that ever was going to be made. And as more people hold it, it gets less volatile. But certainly, yeah, it's something. Don't put all your money in Bitcoin. You know, definitely don't do that. But I think you're even seeing like big funds, like major investment funds, banks like J.P. Morgan, where just bought 50 million worth of it. So I think as a sort of a long-term investment, if people say put like 5% or 2% of your wealth into the cryptocurrency as a way to diversify your investment portfolio. So I can't tell your listeners what to buy or to do, but I think as more people discover it, more people own it, the more stable it's going to get. So your book is called Kings of Crypto. So that indicates to me that there must be people involved in it that were interesting enough for you to want to write about them. Can you tell us about some of them and what made them so interesting to you? Well, yeah, I wrote about a company called Coinbase, which is sort of the first, you know, sort of what Nike is to shoes or Apple is to phones. Coinbase is to cryptocurrency. And I think like many startups, you know, it's a lot of it. You have to act on faith. I mean, I, you know, I thought this company was going to fail once upon a time. 
but there's a lot of just real believers in the technology of it. You know, you have a guy named you know, Olaf Carlson Lee who actually tried to live on Bitcoin for a couple of years. And the sort of, you know, belief in this new technology, a lot of these people, you know, some of them are half nuts, to be honest, but they certainly had faith that this technology and this form of money was going to catch on. And it did. And I think people who sort of have that vision and are able to sort of recognize, you know, sort of trends ahead of the curve, sometimes they're wrong, of course, in which case they look foolish. But in this case, the founders of Coinbase really saw an opportunity to start a company that would let anyone get Bitcoin. And they, they built it successfully. Um, and they're probably going to go public next year worth billions of dollars. So I think that's what attracted me to, to this company is that these people saw early enough and basically put their money where their mouth was and put all their time and effort and their money into building it. And it worked out. And in terms of the future of Bitcoin and how it might relate to big banking and kind of the wider banking system adopting that. What's your prediction on that? I think the underlying technology of Bitcoin is called blockchain. It's where you sort of keep track of, you know, all the money in circulation, basically on a form of software that's verified by other people. You don't have to trust anyone. I think it's inevitable that companies and banks are going to embrace this because currently moving money, if you've ever done a, a wire transfer, even move money between banks, it takes days. And that's because it's really antiquated messaging system called SWIFT and ACH, those networks serve sort of 1960s, 1970s era technology, whereas blockchain is a technology of the century. So for that reason, I think it's going to be embraced. You're also seeing MasterCard um, invest heavily in this, work with central banks, so they can issue digital forms of currency on, on a blockchain. So I just think it's sort of inexorable that banks and companies are going to embrace it. People used to say the internet was a fad. And they said blockchain's a fad. And I think at this point, it's pretty clear that blockchain and Bitcoin are here to stay. As we wrap up, is there anything that I haven't asked or forgot to ask that you'd like to add that makes you excited about this technology? Yeah, I think just the personalities and the stories. You know, I think you put your finger, Gene, on the questions that were you know, most interesting, why people are drawn to it and why people should be skeptical of it. But I think what's exciting is just what's going to happen in the next year. There's a whole other ecosystem built up on blockchain, different types of cryptocurrency. A lot of it's still kind of futuristic, but, you know, we're really just beginning. And so I think, you know, my book, I hope, is really good entry level to understand what this is all about, why it's not as crazy as it sounds, and why it's some slowly changing world. That was Fortune magazine journalist and author Jeff Roberts on his new book, The Kings of Crypto. You can find it now wherever books are sold, including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net. <laughs>